Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Are you promoting your high performers and then finding out that they aren't great leaders? How do you determine who has leadership potential? On today's podcast, Dr. Kimberly Jansen, co-author of Determining Leadership Potential, Powerful Insights to Winning at the Talent Game, shares what prevents us from recognizing our best potential leaders and then tells us exactly what to look for. Kim is brilliant, has a ton of research to back up her expertise, and provides invaluable insights as we groom our talent to Team Anywhere. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host, Mitch Simon, on the West Coast and on the East Coast, our amazing co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. Ginny, how are you doing today? I am good and excited. Yes. Yes. Okay. So now let's get to the podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Kimberly Jansen, CEO of Jansen Associates, a talent and organizational development company. Dr. Jansen was named a top 10 thought leader, top 10 executive coach in 2021, and top 10 inspirational leader in 2022. Dr. Jansen is the author of Demystifying Talent Management, the winner of the Axiom Book Award, and with Dr. Melody Rawlings, Kim just launched her new book, Determining Leadership Potential, Powerful Insights to Winning at the Talent Game. Kim, welcome to our show. How are you today? I'm terrific and delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Kimberly, I think they're going to run out of these great awards to give you. (laughs) <laughs> that just means I need to work harder to keep winning different affirmations. Uh, All, right. All right. That is so gratifying for you. Yeah. Before we get into the book, which we're definitely going to get into, because I know the book just came out, really excited about it. What is the one thing that surprised you the most over the last two years? I think the amount of challenges people point to as being so different or so significant for me have always been there. So we talk about the challenge in managing remotely and having good expectations or feedback or how to create that connectivity. All of these things were present before. We were just able to ignore them better because we could measure by FaceTime or do a drive-by or something. And so I am surprised by the degree that people are surprised. And I think if we just went back to basics and reinvested ourselves into things that work and just amped it up a little bit better, people would find themselves in a very different situation. Oh, I love that. We were just able to ignore them better. (laughs) I would guess, Kim, that you would say that we can't ignore them anymore. Well, you can, but it's going to significantly impact your business success, your talent pool. People have woken up to the fact that they are able to execute more choices. They can make different choices for themselves. 
And as a result, they're voting with their feet. And that has consequences for people who are running companies who are not willing to engage people in some of the fundamental needs that they have. I'm just curious, if you were to rename the Great Resignation, what would you call the Great Resignation? Because it sounds like it was coming. Yeah, I'd call it the Great Lack of Development. The Great great Lack lack of Connectivity. The Great Lack of Connectivity. Connectivity. I think that may, I like the second. People feel lost. They want to be acknowledged. They are having a unique experience because it's their only experience. And if we were better at meeting people where they are and understanding what they offer and being good at having conversations and developing them, it doesn't have to be ascending an organization. It can be lateral. Then I think that people wouldn't feel compelled to leave. They wouldn't mm-hmm. feel compelled to make different choices to find some satisfaction. We're leaving a lot on the table, low-hanging fruit. Okay, I just have to go there again, Kim, because I love the way you see the world. Is We called them before soft skills, all these things that you're talking about. Not we, but people call them. Those people call them soft skills. <laughs> it sounds like these soft skills should be renamed. What would you call yeah. soft skills? The hard stuff. The hard mm-hmm. stuff, yes. <laughs> because if they were soft and easy, then more people would do it with more a plume and more vigor, etc. They are not leaned upon because people don't feel comfortable in them. They don't yeah, feel yeah. like they have the competence. Even good feedback. They don't feel competent to give good feedback. They're awkward. Yep. That's so upside down. But it's like anything else. If you want a good golf game, work on your swing. It's not hard to give good feedback. You just need to have good technique and practice. You got to grind. You got to put in the reps in. You want to be a good basketball free thrower? Spend a thousand shots at the line every week and get competent at it. And so I think if we put the same level of rigor, people could develop these skills. But the soft stuff is the hard stuff because we don't set them up in the same way we do for accounting skills or marketing skills or things of that nature. Right. And I'm so excited about reading your book and building that infrastructure to practice those things that make us uncomfortable. Right. Seems to be what is missing. Be more empathetic, please. Use all this emotional intelligence stuff, please. And conceptually, leaders are going, yeah, yeah, I get it. How do I go to the ball field and practice that. Let's get in there then. And so it seems, you know, with this magnanimous introduction that your book, now I have a huge expectations for the book. So the the book again is called Determining Leadership Potential, Powerful Insights to Winning at the Talent Game. We've already just kind of presented this new window on how to look at great leaders and great managers. Why is this book so important right now? There's several reasons. One is we are absolutely in a leadership crisis. As you just mentioned, the great resignation has resulted in droves of people leaving the workforce. Millions of women have left the workforce. The baby boomers are turning 65 at a rate of 10,000 a day. So the pool is shrinking. We also have been distracted the last couple of years. So while this problem has been compounding for quite a while, we have been distracted by other things. And frankly, 
we spent two years or three years telling people, be afraid, be conservative, worry about your health, your family, your job, your finances. We haven't been pushing them to develop. So the shrinking pool now has been at best frozen and at worst taken a step back because of these things. I think if you add in a couple of additional reasons, such as the world is more complicated, the world is complex, and there's so many external factors influencing your business success today that you need a higher level of sophistication to be able to manage it well. That's why it's important. Leadership has always been important. We've had great examples through history and time, et cetera. But I think this is an inflection point for us that says we need to up our game. And we need to start by choosing people at the onset to be better leaders. So tell me more about that. We need to be better at choosing our leaders, which is really, I think, what struck us about the uniqueness of this book. Can you give us some insights into how to choose those good leaders and why people struggled to pick the right people to be future leaders? Well, I think there's a number of reasons why that's happening. The first harkens back to what we mentioned a little bit ago, which is we don't put the same level of focus in developing competence in how to understand these things as we do functional skills. The second is, I think it scares people a little bit. I think there's a little psychology to it. There's a little behavioralism to it that we need to understand better. And we haven't trained people. And that feels a little crunchy. So they move away from it or leave it to others. I think the third is when people think about determining leadership potential, they think about either what made them successful or they use their own framework or lens. But I've done three research studies and I can talk about those more if you'd like in a bit. But those told us people aren't using a similar framework in the same company. And the amount of criteria they are using varies greatly. So we have a root cause problem where we don't look at the same lens. And if you're trying to build a pipeline, how can you build on those skills as people go up in an organization if at every level and every leader we're looking for something else? So it's a mess at the front end. And then at the back end, we try to solve it by throwing a lot of money at it with leadership development work. I think the recent estimate I read was last year we spent $366 billion mm-hmm. on leadership development work. Leadership development works if you have the right core components in the person. It's just like an athlete. You can throw a ton of money at a great athlete and you're going to get a high return on their performance. But if it's someone who has two left feet and can't find their way out of a paper bag, to perform, that money is not going to make a difference. Thank you. It goes back to, is leadership innate or learned? It's both. I know. Tell us about that more because um, look at this number, 366 billion. That's a lot of billions. The people need to have the proper core competencies that you said. What are we getting wrong and how do we get this right? Yeah. So let's start with how to get it right. The four predictors of leadership potential based on thought leadership and the work that I've done in my research studies is intelligence, personality, learning, agility, and motivation. 
So as things become more complex, we need to have the mental capacity, cognitive elasticity to deal with complexity. And things only become more complex as you go up in an organization. And intelligence is fixed. We have what we have when we're born. You can add knowledge, but you cannot increase someone's IQ. The second component is personality. And like intelligence, it's fixed. There's centuries of research that support that. Some people will argue the point, it's a very small majority. If you are viscerally committed to details and you revel in them and you need them, that's almost impossible to change. But my point on personality is that a lot of personality types can be good leaders. Watch out for the personality derailers. Severe negativity, incredible self-absorption, extreme introversion. Introverts are good leaders all day long. Extreme introverts, they won't be able to be what other people need for them. We kid ourselves most commonly, in my opinion, on the personality piece. The third one is learning agility. My goodness, how do you survive in this world if you don't have an insatiable need to recreate yourself, to pivot, to react to the market, to assimilate information quickly because we have so much information coming at us? So learning agility is a non-starter. And then motivation. You got to hire people with a big engine because as a leader, we need to manufacture energy. Sometimes we need to have capacity to bring people together. Learning agility and motivation isn't fixed, but it's only controlled by that person. I can't tell you how many leaders I've worked with who said, oh, that guy's so good, but if I could only get him to take initiative, guess what? You're not. My other business is a horse farm. That whole bringing the horse to water and making him drink, yeah, it's so true. That's the same for learning agility and motivation. Those are the things we should be looking for. So of course, this is really great. And it's not complicated. Right. Many leadership models are complicated. You're basically saying mental capacity, personality, pretty much fixed. And then learning agility and motivation, not fixed. Kind of interesting. I'm kind of puzzled. With, you know, is leadership born or is it developed? And there's many things that you show here as, you know, if you don't have mental capacity, if you don't have personality, if you're not interested, you're never going to be a leader. How are we getting it wrong? How are we getting it wrong? Why do we mess up so much? Well, let's start with human nature. We are wired for biases. If you were to independently analyze every piece of data that came across your desk every day, we wouldn't be able to operate. So our brain has been created to have sorting mechanisms to make us go faster. Unfortunately, that also applies when we don't want it. And so we have preferences and we gravitate towards what we know. So for example, if someone comes from the same university as I do, I know that. It's easy to lean towards that. Those are implicit biases. We also have explicit biases where people have a lot of crazy ideas about things. And they're generally because they haven't taken the time to look at those things. So one of the biggest impediments is ourselves. There was some great work I did early on at Bank of Boston as I started to get into diversity work, and it was called the assumption model. And the way I talk about that is I say, think about the old coffee filters, those paper filters we put in and we put the coffee in. And when you put water in, you get coffee out. If you were to lace that filter with chocolate or raspberry, you would influence the outcome. The chocolate, raspberry, those are all the things in our filters. I'm the youngest of 10 kids. 
That skews how I look at the world. Yeah, I think that really does. <laughs> I'm married to a police officer. That Ooh, skews yes. how I look at the world. I have two children. We're, we run a high-end show jumper business. We jump really big horses over really big fences. Whoa. There's neither good nor bad about that. But that influences the coffee, i.e. the data. Yeah. And so we're all doing that and we're doing it at an unconscious level. So bias is a big impediment. The second is that we're using so many different criteria to make those decisions. The third is there's no accountability for it. Coaches don't coach the coaches on how to do this well. And so not only are we not making it a craft like an electrician or plumber, we are not holding people accountable. Those are top three reasons. Those are excellent. And also, if a comment here is too many criteria, or as you pointed out, the process is broken on the front end, even if we have a set of criteria, as you said, we have different definitions of what that looks like behaviorally. That's right. And speaking in behavior terms is where I feel we are not helping organizations. Yes, you can take a behavior and put it in some concrete terms if you take the time to do that. That's right. And people move fast. They think they rely on their HR partners a lot of times for this. I'm hard on HR. I know what great HR looks like. Most of it isn't great HR. We've got posers who are using templates to mask deep competence in this area. So you have someone relying on someone else who's not the true expert we need. But the CEOs who get the joke on talent are behaviorists. They do look to line those things up. To your point about the variation, I did three research studies and the intent was to see what criteria people were using. But that framework, by the way, is predicated on work that Alan Church and Rob Silter did in the Leadership Blueprint. And Alan mm-hmm. is the head of talent at PepsiCo. Unbelievable, yeah. great guy. But to your point, it's intuitive. It's simple. It's obvious. So I said, what are these people using? And my first study was a look at a number of companies in one industry And I interviewed leaders at four different levels in the organization. And I then compared the results within each organization and then to each other. The CEOs were more similar in their answer from company to company than they were with their own people. So the impact is that people don't know the framework. They're not agreeing on technology, to your point, Ginny. They are not consistent in the criteria, and that leads to variation, and variation is a bad thing. Let's go help us understand. I know I'm in San Diego, so for the most part, I'm working with smaller companies whose HR departments are small. How would you help those of us who are either team leaders or working with small companies? How would we actually go ahead and find our best leadership potential? What should we do? Yeah. I'm so glad you made that distinction because it's easy to think about this as big company things. It's not. And it becomes actually even more important for small and mid-sized companies or teams. So if you're a team leader, I would suggest the following. The first is to do a deep dive to understand this topic. Have a clear framework for how you're looking at this. And don't look for things like 
decision-making. Because if you have the rest, I can teach you decision-making. So look for things that are predictive of potential. Because if we grab people early in their career, they're not going to be demonstrating leadership skills. I want you to say that again. Say that again. Yeah. If we're looking at folks who we can make big bets on earlier in their career, they will not be demonstrating the expected leadership skills we need. But those are teachable if you have the right core components, intelligence, personality, learning, agility, motivation. So get deep on it, have a clear set of criteria, get great at using assessments. There's so many assessments out there that can complement your perspective, but make sure you also have a multi-rater perspective. Exactly. Because (laughs) you're only one lens. So understand people's experience and perception of this person. And then practice having hard conversations Mm -hmm. because a lot of times people move away from doing the right thing because it's a difficult conversation. Make your bets and then (laughs) develop the heck out of them. That's where you spend your money. Yep. I'm interested. You did not mention emotional intelligence, mental capacity, personality, learning agility, and motivation. I think many of us on the call would say, well, where's where's EQ? It's such a great question because it's so important. Sometimes people will put EQ in with intelligence, but that's not where it belongs. It's not a measure of cognitive effectiveness and capacity. It's a measure of interpersonal capacity, mm-hmm. which is personality. Okay. And so where folks, and, and just so we're on the same page, EQ, emotional intelligence, is comprised of four things. Self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy, and trust. Those are the components combined to create a highly engaging relationship or connection. People are hired for IQ and fired because they don't have the, it's the what and the how of performance that's important. The what is is often the intelligence piece. The how is often fueled by, by the emotional intelligence piece. I just came across a really good research piece that looked at CEOs and how they're turning over every three years. And the reason why they're turning over is lack of EQ. So the differentiator is that EQ can be learned. So think about it, self-awareness. You may not have an easy or quick access to self-awareness, but you can do things and surround yourself with people who can give you input on that, right? So that's developable. Self-regulation. Extreme emotional volatility is a derailer. Right. But learning how to channel your emotions, pulling yourself out of things, Many of my CEOs, I say, do the world a favor and go running in the morning. We can do different things to help with that. Trust, there are very specific ways we can develop trust. And empathy is the ability to immerse yourself in other people's experience. I consider myself an empath. I know it before I know it. We call it black magic in my house. But if you don't have that access to those intuitive connections, then you can certainly ask people. You can develop empathy by asking questions and then understanding things from their perspective. So not only is emotional intelligence critical, I bucket it under personality, but it's also developable. 
I love that. I have never heard that explained so clearly. And I know that I'm going to probably see some of the older research, even from the Center of Creative Leadership in your book, where they followed groups of like 50, 60, quote unquote, high potentials for 20 years. And yes, they all got to a certain level. But those that went even further, it was because of the emotional intelligence piece which our recent research is also playing out. That's fabulous. Thank you for that, Jason. And then Kim, the last piece was under personality. So the last one, it was self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy, and trust. Yes. And I'm asking is, can trust be trained or learned as well? You can be trained on ways in which you can create trust. So what is trust? Trust is I am going to behave in a way that you can rely on me, that I'm not going to put you at risk, that I'm going to show respect. So how do you do that? Well, consistent delivery of performance is one. Having a conversation with you before you go talk to others is another. You can learn different ways in which you build that connectivity that you then become someone who's reliable, dependable, you're not going to create issues and blindside people. Those are the ways in which trust is eroded. If you're not someone who trusts naturally, and you need a pattern to be able to say, okay, I'm willing to take a risk on that, you can articulate that and we can teach people on how to articulate what their needs are. Great. If I were determining who I want to promote into leadership, are there any assessments that you either have created or you suggest that companies use? I think that if you use a combination of assessments, you get the best picture. So first, uh, some type of multi-rater. I like a qualitative 360. So I get to the true things that are hard for people to talk about, but are present and holding people back. They have often a stream of consciousness experience in a qualitative conversation that is hard to manufacture when they're sitting down and typing a response because they become hyper aware of what they're typing. So I think that multi-rater, the Hogan executive assessment, the world's most common executive assessment, more than 10 million people have taken it. I think it gives you a great understanding of where you're lining up because anything too far is an impediment. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. The Hogan helps us understand based on our choices where we line up on a continuum, but then it also helps us understand how we compare to the norm. That's powerful. I like a personality assessment. An easy one is right out of Dave Mitchell's book, The Power of Understanding People, it's very accurate. It's done in five minutes. It's free as part of the book. My next one to go to is DISC. That's one that can be used well with teams. Myers-Briggs is often used. You need a little bit of a PhD to interpret (laughs) deep on the personality. There's a great learning agility assessment available for intelligence. I love the Wonderlick. I'm also a crazy football person. So the fact that they use it with quarterbacks goes a long way with me as well. So I like the combination of data. But here's my caution. Behavior trumps data. So behavior trumps assessment. Assessment should be indicators for you to look further into. And you mentioned on the multi-rater qualitative 360, I'm assuming we would get this from the book, is be careful what you ask. 
So if I'm asking for all of those things, which basically I'm asking, you know, has this person shown leadership attributes and I'm not looking for a leadership attribute, I'm looking for leadership potential, then I might find the wrong people, right? I'm going to have a positive and negative mistakes here. You should put that on a bumper sticker. It's just so brilliant. <laughs> it's so exactly right. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to miss my core future leaders because I do think about the companies I'm working with and we really are. We're working with like 25, 24, 23, 24 year olds. They haven't had that time, but I'm always asked by the CEO, what do you think? Does this person have leadership potential? And now going forward, I'm going to be asking myself different questions. I think in that scenario, the CEO will rely on performance yes. to give you an answer. And performance is not a predictor of potential unless it's the same exact job. Yeah. That's where we get trapped as well. Performance should be the ticket for you to have entry into the conversation to be considered to do something else because we need people who are doing their job in a very robust way but it's only the ticket in the door. It's not the lens by which we should evaluate them for future leadership potential. I think every single second of this podcast is gold. I don't want it to end, but we must. (laughs) Where can we find you and Dr. Melody Rawlings? Where can we find this book? How can we hire you? Thank you so much. So you can find me in a number of places, jansenassociates.com is my company website. Our number is 866-WE-UNLEASH. Nice. Because that's what we are about. I also can be found at my email, Dr. Jansen at determiningleadershippotential.com or Kim at jansenassociates.com. You'll find me on Instagram, Jansen Associates, LinkedIn, both with me and the company. Melody and I also created a website that we want to go in tandem with this book. We had a word count that we railed against. (laughs) And so to combat that, we have provided a tremendous amount of free resources, case studies for you to use, a list of assessments to give you some background on different assessments, interview questions, et cetera. So you can find us on that website. It's determiningleadershippotential.com. You can find Dr. Rawlings on LinkedIn as well. And then Dr. Rawlings at DeterminingLeadershipPotential.com. You'll also find us out with a relaunch of my first book because there was a need to come at this moment Mm -hmm. and come back to some of the fundamentals. So within the next two weeks, Demystifying Talent Management will be out with a second edition. Great. My God, what a busy lady. (laughs) Never busy enough. Yeah, it's been wonderful. And I really want to thank you. You hit all sides, the academic, the practical, the tools to use, you know, the concepts behind it. Thank you. You're the whole deal. It's really kind. I am really frustrated for people. We have to be better. We have to make this world better. And we can do it by picking better people. And so I'm dedicating my life to doing just that. But thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share this passion and have this great conversation. I'm really indebted to both of you and you made it a blast as well. Great. It's always great to find someone who's just brilliant. 
And I just, you know, walking away, my thoughts, and I'm hoping, you know, the listeners' thoughts is, you know, there are many companies I work with where they're incredible at finding the right people to bring to the company. And the work now is figuring out in growing the company, which of those people that I bring in are great or could be great at leadership and which should we just kind of don't promote those people, let those (laughs) people do what they do and kind of keep that and reward those people as well in the conversation. So thank you so much, Kim, for your time, your intelligence and what you're contributing to the world and your great care. Thank you, Ginny for again, another incredible conversation. If you've loved this episode, which we have, please share this with your friends, your family, and your colleagues. And until next time, we'll see you again on Team Anywhere. Anywhere.